The following audio is from the Ridge Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. For more information about Ridge Church, please visit ridgechurch.cc. We hope you enjoy this message from the Ridge. Not uh, resolution. And so this week, uh, today, I, I truly believe that, that many of you will be set free today by answering a really important question. And it's a question that I have been wrestling with myself all this week, and I, I'm going to allow you to uh, just join in my struggle. How's that? Is that good? Because uh, I don't like to be alone up here. All right. So um, a couple of years ago, actually six to be exact, almost seven now, my son uh, Isaiah was born, and uh, during, the, uh, during the, the birth process, uh, there were some complications during the birth, and at, at the time, it was, it was very uh, touch and go, very scary. As a matter of fact, as soon as uh, Isaiah was born, we actually had to uh, place him in an ambulance and rush him straight to Children's Hospital, uh, where he spent seven days uh, touch and go for a couple of days, wondering whether or not he would survive um, Doctors would come to us and they would tell us that uh, because of the umbilical cord being wrapped around his neck during the birth process, that uh, because enough oxygen did not get to his brain, we thought that, or they actually thought, the doctors thought that uh, he uh, either A, might not survive, or B, that uh, he would just have permanent brain damage uh, for the rest of his life. And so it was very scary, it was very touch and go. And then on top of that, when my wife Denera was giving birth, uh, she uh, lost a lot of blood and blacked out and literally almost died on the table uh, after giving birth to Isaiah. And so uh, right at that moment, this was our, our first child, and so right at that moment it was, I mean, really, really close to losing both my son and my wife all at the same time. And it was a, a very traumatic and scary process. And I remember sitting in the, uh, at Children's Hospital once. Uh, they, they took him to, in the ambulance, and then they, they took care of Denera and, and got her uh, stabilized. And then, uh, so I rushed over to Children's Hospital to, to be with Isaiah. And I remember sitting there and, and looking through the glass, you know, seeing uh, all the tubes and wires and everything hooked up to my son. And I remember sitting there at that moment, I remember thinking this to myself. I want to be in control of this, but I am so out of control, it's not even funny. You ever been there? You, you, you wanted to, to control a situation, you wanted to, to control an outcome, you wanted to, to jump into a, a situation and say, I'm going to do everything that I can to, to make this work, to make this right, I'm going to do everything that I can uh, to make this well. And I, I wanted to control it, but what I realized in that moment, more than ever, that control is merely an illusion. Control is, is merely an illusion. Uh, today, I believe that, that looking at this, looking at, at control and how we control things, finding out if we are control freaks or not. As a matter of fact, let, let, let's just do this. We're in a safe place. This is a church. Uh, let me just, everybody raise the right hand. Come on, crowd participation here. Everybody just raise your right hand. Say this with me. I am a control freak. <laughs> All right, we've all admitted it. Now we're, we're good. We're good, right? So we're, listen, we're all control freaks. In, in one way or another, we all like to control certain things. And, and some of you, like you raised your right hand and you didn't say anything because you're like, I'm going to control this situation right here because I'm not, I'm not going to say anything at all. And, but like, we want to control things in one way or another. And we like to think that we can control things. We like to think that we can control our finances, don't we? We, we, got, we got our finances under control, but, but for some of us, 
our finances really aren't under control because we're one layoff or one bad paycheck away from our finances being out of control. We like to think as, as parents that we can control our children, don't we? And, and in some ways, we, we do, right? We do. And let me just side note, if you do that thing where you put the leash on your kid and they run around and you're like, you know, stop, quit, okay? That's weird. It's just quit it. But anyway, like, but like we think that we can, we, we control our kids and in some ways we do. Like, we, you know, we tell them what school we want them to go to. We tell them how we want them to do in school. We tell them what we want them to do in school when it comes to sports and extracurricular activities. We tell them, you know, they have a curfew. We tell them that, you know, they need to be polite and say please and thank you. And listen, those are all good things. And then they pee one day in the middle of Walmart and you realize that you're, you're not in control. <laughs> like... And they're not in control of their bladder. And so it's, I'm not saying that that's happened. I'm just saying that, that we think that we are in control sometimes. Some of us are, we, we have this illusion of control when it comes to uh, our addictions. We, we think that we're controlling our addictions because, well, we've had a string of good days. And we, we look at ourselves and we say, you know what, I've done really good, I've done well, I've, 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 look at how I've beat this. But all it takes is a night out with the friends, night at home alone, right? Wrong situation, wrong temptation, and all of a sudden we realize that control is merely an illusion. We think that we can control our sin, and then we realize when it happens again, that we're not in control anymore. And so it feels like we're in control, but, but we're not. Control is an illusion. And I love what my friend Rodney Arnold said. He, he, he said this, he said, control is merely an illusion unless God is the one in control. Unless God is the one in control. And I, I, I love that. The illusion of control is actually, it's a psychological term. It's, uh, it's a term that, actually, let me just read the definition to you. Definition of the illusion of control says this, is that the illusion of control is the tendency for people to overestimate their ability to control events. For example, it occurs when someone feels a sense of control over outcomes that they demonstrate or or, uh, demonstratively do not influence. And so you think about that and, and think, think about you and, and how you and I try to control certain things. And I think we can see ourselves in that right there. With Isaiah, I thought I was in control. Before that happened, before we had children, I thought I was the one that was in control. But all I could do was exactly what God wanted me to do and ask each of us to do. And that's to trust him, to trust in him and not in me. And so sometimes I think God puts us in those situations for us to have to take a step back and realize and go, hey, he's just reminding us, especially if you're believers here, he's, he's reminding you, he's saying, hey, hey, listen, look, look right here, because you're not in control. Remember who is in control here. It's not you, it's me. And so sometimes I think that, that we're put in those places so that we realize that it is not us, that we need to put our trust in him and not in ourselves. And so when there is nothing that you can do, all you can do is exactly what God wants you to do, and that's to trust him. But that's hard. Can we just be honest and say that that's hard? It's hard to, to trust God with every little thing in our lives. It's hard to trust God with the, the big things. It's hard to trust God with the, the little things sometimes. 
You see, but our culture, and this is, I think this is one of the reasons why it, it, it's so hard, is because culture tells us differently. Culture actually paints a different picture for us. Culture paints a picture that, that we just, we make our own path. Isn't that what culture tells us? Isn't that what our, our culture sort of paints for us and says, hey, you just, you make your own way, you make your own path, you are the one who's in control of your destiny. It's you. You control it. That we are in control of our own futures and destiny. Uh, if you uh, are on the internet at all, you know, whatsoever, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, all you see all day long are these little memes, right? These little memes, these little pictures, these clever little sayings. And most of them, most of them are just absolutely heretical when they say, it's up to you, it's your destiny, you choose, you make your own path. And listen, there's some truth in that, but even this morning, I opened up my Bible app this morning and, and the verse of the day was Proverbs 16:9. It says, a man plans his way in his heart, but the Lord determines his steps. Right? And doesn't that fly in the face of what culture teaches us, what we read on memes? And so I, I pose this, what, what if Pinterest is wrong? You know? Like, like what, 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 if, what, if, um, what if your friend who you think is so intelligent and clever who posts all these things all the time, what if they're not as smart as we think they are? Right? I mean, what if they're wrong? Well, I tend to say that they are wrong because I believe that ultimately, because I believe that God is sovereign, that ultimately God is the one who lays out our path for us. Now, there's choices that we have in there. There's things that we control over there. We don't have time to get into all of that, but uh, we, can, uh, we can dive into more of that later. I want you to open your Bible to Galatians 3. Galatians chapter 3, we'll, uh, we're, we're going to go to Galatians 5 right after this, and so you can put your thumb there as well if you want to. But um, here, Paul writes a, he writes a corrective letter to the Galatians, and he's writing uh, this letter to churches in a place called Galatia. Uh, they had given up control because they had given their lives to Christ. They had started these churches, and so they were all in for Jesus. They were uh, living their lives for, for Christ, going and, and just listening to his voice, doing as the voice of God led them. But then all of a sudden, they began to sort of change their path. They sort of began to do what even culture then would say, is to make your own path, do your own thing, create you, you be in control, you control things. And so they began to do that. And so Paul writes them sort of a corrective letter. And this is what we see in the book of Galatians, is Paul correcting believers in these churches in Galatia. And so these churches, they started giving control to Jesus, then they decided to take it back. And Paul kind of freaks out on them. He kind of freaks out on him. You can read it uh, up to chapter 3 and really all throughout uh, the book of Galatians. But we're going to pick it up in Galatians 3, starting in verse 1. Listen to what Paul says, and, and listen to his tone here. He says this. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? In other words, he says, who's, who's tricked you? Like, wh where did you go wrong here? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed as crucified. And so... Paul, again, is saying here, this is not too, this is written in about 40 A.D., so it's not written too long after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected. And so some of these people had seen a crucified Jesus. And so Paul's reminding them, he's saying, he said, listen, you saw this, and so let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And so Paul says, okay, who's in control here? 
Is the Spirit of God in control here, or are you in control? Like, who saved you? Was it, was it out of your own works? Was it out of your own uh, pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps? Was, was it that that saved you, or did the Spirit of God save you? And so Paul is sort of asking them to, to turn their heads and, and to turn their eyes to see differently and turn back away from uh, believing that they were the ones that were in control. And he's saying, why do you think you can control something that is controlled by the Spirit? Jesus himself talks about giving up control all throughout his ministry, doesn't he? Like when, when Jesus says, uh, take up a cross and, and follow me, you, you must bear a cross. Like when Jesus talks about that, what, he, when it, when he, he's saying, he's saying you have to give up control. There is no control when you're on a cross. And so to take up a cross literally means you are giving up control. When Jesus says that you must turn away from even your mother and your father and come after me, when he's saying that, he's saying you're going to turn away from something that you're comfortable with, that you know very well, and you're going to come after me. In other words, you're giving up what is comfortable, you're giving up what you know that you can control, and come into something that is completely unknown. When he comes to, to the fishermen and he says, drop your nets, stop being fishers, uh, fishermen and start being fishers of men, he's saying, leave something that is comfortable, leave something that you can control and come after me into something that you cannot control. And so all throughout the, the ministry of Jesus, even Jesus himself is saying, you're, you, you're, you're not in control here. When you come after me, when you follow me, you're giving up control. And so here's a question for us question for you if you're a believer here this morning did you surrender your life to jesus or did you just surrender that once did you surrender your life to jesus or just that once it's a hard question isn't it because if we surrendered our lives to Jesus, what we're saying is we're saying, I'm going to take up a cross. What we're saying is I'm going to uh, potentially leave my mother and father and come after him. I'm going to drop what is comfortable, what I know, what I feel like I can control, and step into something that I cannot control. Here's the bottom line for today, if you're taking notes. And this is the, the question that I think that, that could set many of us free this morning if we really wrestle with this. And so the question is this, do you think you're God or are you God's? Do you think that you are God or are you God's? Now listen, I know that uh, none of us here are probably going to say, I am God in the flesh, okay? Otherwise, we need to talk, seriously, okay? But we think sometimes, we think that we are our own gods, that we control it we make our own past but the truth is this is that we make horrible gods you and i make horrible gods when we try to control which by the way control uh it, it's just something that is uh rooted in fear i think control comes out of the the root of, of fear but we put an immense pressure on ourselves to make our own outcomes don't we so the fear of having hard times the fear of uh, suffering, the fear of having difficulties and, and leaving the outcomes to, to someone else is daunting to us, is it not? For, for those of us who really struggle with control, putting control in the hands of someone else, being God or anyone else for that matter, is extremely daunting for us and it makes us really nervous, doesn't it? We don't like it. 
So we try and manipulate and control in many cases, thus sabotaging relationships and ourselves in the process. And so in the rest of Galatians 3 and 4, Paul really just lets the church in Galatia have it. And then we get to chapter 5, and, and then Paul tells us how to not be a control freak and how to give control back over to the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to skip over to Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. Read a couple of verses for you here. 16 through 18 says this. Paul says this. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. It's talking about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. He says, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. What what does he say there by not being under the law? He's saying it's not under your own compulsion. It's not under your own uh, try-harder. It's not under your own do-better. It's not under any of those things. It's under uh, the Spirit of God. And so what Paul is saying to us here, he is saying that there are two things at work within you. There is the flesh, which is the sinful side of ourselves. And if you read through the rest of Galatians 5 here, Paul kind of lays out a little bit. He says, here is uh, things that are indicative of a person that is led by the flesh. And so we see a few things there. And then he says, here is some things that are indicative of a person who is led by the Spirit. So you can read that in Galatians 5. That's some homework for you today. But he says, you have two things at work. You have flesh and you have the Spirit. And these things are opposed to one another. These things are opposing each other. They are at work against each other. And so the best way that I know how to explain this is through this illustration here. If I can get to it. So we all know what this is, right? Like, yeah, it's a piece of styrofoam. No, it's a plane, okay? Um, it's a plane. Um, and these planes are, I mean, obviously, if you've been on an airplane, you know how huge they are, right? Passenger jets, Airbuses, I mean, they're, they're huge. They weigh, uh, they, they weigh tons and tons. And so to me, I've always found it to be interesting how, like, boats that are huge and planes that are just absolutely massive, how they do what they're supposed to do. How boats that weigh tons float. Like, I don't know. Okay? And then planes that weigh tons fly. Which is crazy to me. I don't know. It's just me. So, these planes, if this plane is um, sitting on the ground, what, what law is at work when a plane is on the ground? Gravity. Right? And so gravity is what holds a plane down on the ground. Gravity is what holds you and I down on the ground. And sometimes, if we're just being honest, sometimes gravity feels really, really heavy, doesn't it? I mean, it just does. It, it just feels really heavy. And so when gravity is holding this plane on the ground, that is the, the law that is at work on this plane. Now, what makes this plane different, what can get this plane off the ground is the other law that is at work with an airplane. It's the aerodynamics and the power. The jet engine, right? Now, with aerodynamics alone, plus gravity, this plane still sits on the ground, does it not? But when you put power this when you put a jet engine on this what happens 
thing flies, does it not? And it is set free to do what it was designed to do. Even in the air, though, you still have two things that work in the air. Because in the air, you still have aerodynamics. That are, I mean, you still have the gravity that is at work. But what is stronger than the gravity? The jet engine. The power is what makes this stronger. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying that, that because the two things that are at work, the, the, the flesh that is at work in you, you want to control things. You want to, to put your hands on things, and you want to, to control them, but you have something at work a, a, against you, and that is what is inside of your flesh. The, the sinful parts of us that are constantly at work in us, and that's what makes us think that we can control outcomes, that we can control things, but you can't control this. A pilot cannot control this thing by himself. Can he not? We like to think that they can. Did you know, by the way, did you know that pilots only fly a plane for about three minutes now? Did you know that? The rest, of the, they take off and land, and that's about it. The rest is done by an autopilot. Crazy, right? So even a pilot is not in control. That's kind of scary too, isn't it? <laughs> Nobody's going to fly this week. Um, and so th- to, m- to me, that's like, I just, I just find that absolutely amazing. I find, it, I find it crazy. The flesh is always at work, but the spirit is stronger. And so Paul says to be controlled by the spirit, not by the flesh, not by yourself. You are, listen, you are not God. You are God's. Paul, Paul explains it very well, I think, in Romans 8. Let me read it to you. Romans 8, 5. He says this. It says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Can we just pause right there and think about that for just a second? For to set the mind on the flesh is death. That's, by the way, that's final. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So what is Paul saying there? He's saying, hey, control freaks, listen. Those of you who are trying to make your own path, those of you who are trying to make your own way and try to get around what God wants for your life, trying to skirt around God's plan, God's design for you, trying to make your own path, listen, you're not pleasing God until we give up control to the Spirit of God. And so here's what we can do. What does it mean to to live by the Spirit? I think it means that we'll live each day and each moment based on what God wants and not what I want, not what you want. And so we have to ask ourselves this question. What does it mean to follow you today, God? We, well, if, what, if we, what if we got up each morning and say, God, what does it mean for me to follow you today? What does it mean to, to be led by your spirit today, to, to allow you to make my path today, to not, uh, not to create my own way, to try to control things today? What if I just give myself up to you today? What does it mean to, to choose honoring you over going after what I want? If you go back to the beginning of Galatians 5, 1, I skipped this on purpose because I, I wanted to end on this. Paul says this, Galatians 5, 1, he says, For freedom, 
For freedom, Christ has set us free. Man, that's good, isn't it? For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So what Paul is saying here is saying something very important. He's saying, you want to be free? Give up control. You want freedom? Give up control. Freedom is not found in you trying to gain your own freedom. Freedom is found in submission to the Spirit of God. Isn't that freeing? Shouldn't that be freeing to us? Is, is, is that for us who, who want to control things and try to control outcomes and control just everything around us for, to say, for us to just step back for a moment and say, no, 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 no. God, I want you to lead me. God, how can I honor you? How, what decision can I make that will honor you most? God, well, which way should I go that will honor you the most? How can I give up myself? How, how can I submit myself over to you today to be led by you? And listen, being led by the Spirit of God isn't rainbows and unicorns all the time. Sometimes the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God led Jesus to a cross. But Jesus being led to the cross is what gave us freedom. For it is freedom that Christ has set us free. We have been saved from and saved to something. So I think all too often we only think about what we have been saved from. Yes and amen to that. We've been saved from hell. We've been saved from our sin. But let's not forget that we have been saved to. Listen to me, church. We've been saved to freedom free from the yoke of slavery of sin there is therefore now no condemnation that's what paul says in romans 8 1 saved to being able to live by the spirit saved from having to control our lives yet saved to christ controlling our lives saved from being our own god saved to being god's been set free from that set free from being a control freak to being free set free from having to worry about outcomes because we've trusted the outcomes to the spirit of god so if you're a believer this morning just close your eyes everybody even if you're not a believer this morning i think we can all join in in this right here because if you're not a believer this morning the spirit of god is is calling you to to freedom and that freedom is is to give up your flesh to give up sin and give over your life to him through the cross of christ but for all of us this morning can we just close our eyes for just a moment take a everyone just take a deep breath and either out loud or just under your breath or right where you sit will you just say these words i am free I am free. God, we thank you for our freedom. God, we thank you for how you have set us free. God, what you have saved us to, but God, what you have saved us from as well, Father. God, what you have saved us to is so much sweeter. For it is for freedom that we have been set free. God, free us from feeling like we have to control. Free us from having to feel like we have to make our own path, God, that that we are our own gods 
but free to be yours. Let us walk in that freedom. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we respond uh, by singing this song through praise and worship and adoration. And as you respond, if you feel like coming toward the front to, to pray, someone will meet you down here to pray. We have a couple of prayer team members here that would love to pray with you. So please respond in the way God has called you.